Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Well, this week I was reading up a little bit on Salvation Army and was reading about William Booth. And so him and his wife founded Salvation Army, but his son tells a story about being 12, 13 years old in the late 1800s, and his dad was taking him through the streets of London and brought him into a saloon. And so he goes into the saloon, and the way he tells the story is that you could see the signs of crime and vice on people's face, Um, that the smell of tobacco and alcohol was toxic in the air. And so imagine just a young boy seeing men pursuing women in a saloon and the shock factor that would have been. But in this moment, his dad looked at him and said, these are our people. These are the people I want you to live for. These are the people I want you to lead to Christ. And that message had a lasting impression on his son. Well, today we're continuing to study the, the Apostle Paul in his missionary journeys. And as he goes from town to town, he's doing so with Jesus having come alongside him on the road to Damascus, telling him, these are our people. And so Paul has a mission to reach people, to live for them, and to lead them to Christ. And so we're going to pick up today on his second missionary journey as he enters a new town. So let's look at verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So if there was a city that Paul ministered to in the Bible that was the equivalent of a saloon, it would have been Corinth, right? Corinth was known as being the trade center of the world. You had trade routes by land that went from the north to the south, but you also had ports, one that reached to the east and one that reached to the west, and they had a railroad system, a three and a half mile log system between the two where they could literally drag ships from one sea to the next to save time. And so being a port town, that allowed people to be anonymous, where you could show up somewhere that no one really knew who you were or where you were going. And with the the ability to be anonymous breeds promiscuity. So it was known as being a sin city. This was the place that what happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It was a rough town. And so as you step into this type of environment to do ministry, it's an uphill battle. So Paul knows that this battle is going to be uphill, but he also knows that, man, this is a way to reach the world. That if if trades and goods go out to to the known world from this city, so can the gospel. And so he comes to labor for Christ. It says in verse 2, And he found a Jew named Aquila and a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome And he went to see them. And so Claudius, when he was ruling in Rome, basically kicked all of the Jews out. Specifically, there's controversy between Jewish Christians and um, and Jewish people that were not Christians. And so he's like, just get out of town. You're no longer welcomed in Rome. And so two of these people wind up in Corinth, which is the third largest city in the area. And so for Paul, this has got to be encouraging. When he shows up to Corinth, he is at his end. He's exhausted. He doesn't really have much left to give. But when he finds these two friends, it's something that puts some wind in his sails. Verse 3, it says, And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. 
And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And so Paul, he's a tent maker. He works with leather. And Aquila and Priscilla share his trade and his faith. And so this is kind of his team. These are people that he's doing life with. And so Monday through Friday, he's making tents. And then on Saturday, on the Sabbath, he would go to the synagogue, open up the Hebrew scriptures, and he would begin to reason with people and show them that, look, everything the Old Testament is pointing to, it's all been fulfilled in Christ. The, the historic Jesus from Nazareth, that was his mom Mary, his stepdad Joseph, that Jesus, he goes, this is the one everything has been looking to, right? Everything is fulfilled in him. Now next, verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Now, I love this because, um, like I said, he's, he's at his end, he's exhausted, and then he finds community with Aquila and Priscilla. Well, now two of his other buddies show up, Silas and Timothy. Now, Silas and Timothy have been doing ministry in um, Thessalonia, right? So they're there, and what we see in, in 2 Corinthians 11 and Philippians chapter 4 is that when they show up and meet with Paul in Corinth, they bring with them a love offering, so they basically take up an offering and bring it with them to Corinth. Now, why that's significant is because earlier in verses 3 and 4, what do we see Paul doing? He's tent making. He's doing ministry one day a week and then making money the other days of the week. But here, when he receives this offering, what it allows him to do is to be occupied, which means to be fully devoted or to do exclusively. In other words, he has a new occupation. Because of this love offering, he is able to be fully committed, fully devoted exclusively to preaching the word of God, right? So this allows him to be fully focused, not on making money and providing for himself, but just to give himself to ministry. And so he goes all in on teaching the word of God to people. Verse 6, and when they opposed and rivaled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so as Paul is occupied with teaching the Jews and the Greeks that are in the synagogues the word of God, they reject the message. Like we don't, we don't accept that Jesus is Lord. We don't believe that he's the fulfillment of the Old Testament. So they push back. They reject it. And after enough time, he goes, all right, I'm done. Like, I'm out. And so there's this dramatic gesture of shaking the dust off his garments, which I would say this is the equivalent of throwing someone's stuff out in the front yard. Just like, it's out in the front yard. Take the sign. Take the hint. We are breaking up. Right? And so he, he's walking away from this, which might seem like he just walks away in anger, and that this is something easy for him to do. But if you read Romans chapter 9, I mean, this would have been heartbreaking for Paul. I mean, this is not something easy for him to walk away from, but it was necessary because God had called him to a ministry to the Gentiles. And so he moves on. So look at verse 7. This is a huge transition. It says, he left there, the synagogue, and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. And so there's this transition from public evangelism in the synagogues to more private evangelism in people's homes. And so he shows up to this, this next door house and this guy, Titius Justice, most likely um, hosted the first house church in Corinth. So this guy, he's a wealthy man, would have had a big house. And so most likely the first church that was meeting was meeting in his house 
hunkering down and hanging out. Next, it says, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So next we see this guy Crispus. He's, he's a ruler in the synagogue, and he, he must have been in the synagogue. He sees Paul shake off his garments, go next door, and he's like, well, I'm kind of curious as to what's being taught, and I, I'm not settled on rejecting this. So he wanders over to Titius Justice's house, continues to lean in, and this is the first convert we see in Corinth, which is a huge deal because of his position. Uh, a, a little over, I think it was two years ago, we did this thing we called Love One where we encouraged everyone from Redeemer to pick one person and to commit to loving them towards knowing Jesus. And so you can't call your people to, to love somebody and not do it on your own. So I picked a guy that is um, from India. And I was like, I'm going to love this guy towards Jesus. And so I went to a party, a birthday party at his house, and it was all people from India and me. I stuck out like a sore thumb, just walking around. And, and as I'm getting to know his friends and hear their stories and where they're from, it turns out that he is a big deal at the Hindu temple in Kingsport. They're like, he's the king. I'm like, What? Like, he? He's like, yeah, he's the king. I'm like, what in the world? So it felt like maybe the Hindu temple was doing a loved one, pursuing the pastor, and the pastor's doing a loved one, pursuing the, the Hindu guy. But either way, like, he didn't come to Jesus yet. He hasn't come to Jesus yet. But I think about that. Like, if he, would to, if he was to come to Christ, think about how significant that would be with his influence in that area. And so here's a guy that's a, a significant leader, and he comes to Christ. And what happens next is his house follows suit, which I love. Studies show that if a child is the first convert in a home, there's a 3% chance the rest of the house will follow. That if a mom is the first convert, that seven, there's a 17% chance the rest of the house will follow. But if dad is the first one to come to Jesus, there's a 93% chance the rest of the house will follow Christ too. And so here we have this guy, Crispus, the dad of the house, comes to Christ. So there's a 93% chance the rest of the house will follow suit. And that's what happens. The rest of his house goes, we're following Jesus too. I say that because if, if you're a dad today, your leadership in the home is central to the faith of your family. All right? But here we have Crispus. He gives his life to Christ. His family follows and gives his life to Christ. And then the rest of the, like all these other Corinthians in town start choosing Jesus too. Now this is probably a, a very encouraging time for Paul as he was sucking wind coming into it, then to have community and friends show up, to have a love offering, to have all these things, a house church start and people are coming to Christ. So maybe he's thinking, okay, this thing is off the ground. The ship is, the ship is sailing. The plane is flying. Like we're good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. I think about this. Um, the other day, my son had a baseball game, and I, I didn't get a chance to exercise that day. And I was like, Lucy, where's the game at? I'm, okay, I'm going to run there. And so I thought, I'm going to run to the game. And so as I'm running down the road, keeping my normal pace, there's someone in front of me. And there's this awkward moment where I caught up to them and passed them. But once you pass someone, you, you can't slow down. Like, cause then the, so I just decided I was going to book it. So I really pushed on that last bit. And so I'm, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I get to the field. There's no cars. 
So I call Lucy. I'm like, did the game get canceled? She's like, where are you? Wrong field. Oh, like, are you kidding me? So I had to go like to another field. And so I had to keep, keep running. And so here's Paul. Maybe he's like, I'm done. Like I've finished the race. I've got this church off the ground. It's going, I can move on. I can do something else. But then look at verses, verses nine and 10. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so Jesus says, keep doing what you're doing. Don't don't move on. I'm not done yet. You've got more work to do. Keep going. But know this, I'm with you. I'm here to comfort you. I'm here to, to be by your side. And there are many people that are my people in the city. In other words, as you continue this to work, I'm guaranteeing that some people are going to follow me, so keep working. Then verse 11 says, and he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. And so he hunkers down for a year and a half and says, I wanna teach you God's word because I want you to know God for who he is. Not for who you imagine him to be, not for who you want him to be, but I want you to know who he truly is, which is revealed to us in scripture. And so he opens up God's word and preaches and teaches. So here's what I want to do. I want us to think through if Paul were to show up in Johnson City or the Tri-Cities and he was going to evangelize like he's doing in Corinth, how would he do that? If he was to do what he's doing in his second missionary journey and he was to apply that here, what are some things that we can take away? What are some things that we can learn? Well, as you look at his strategy, he's going after influential cities. The first city he is in, in chapter 17, is Athens. Athens, last week we saw, is the intellectual capital of the world. Then he moves from Athens to Corinth, which is the trade capital of the world. And then by the end of chapter 18 and and on, we're going to see that he's going to be in Ephesus, which is the religious capital of the world. And so if we were to think macro and we're going to apply that strategy to where we are, you might think, okay, we need to be intentional with going to the big cities. And then if we can reach the big cities, the gospel will spread out. But I want to take it on a more micro level. So let's think through, like, what are the intellectual centers of Johnson City? What are the trade centers? What are the religious centers? What are the areas that if we were to influence that the gospel could then spread out from into the rest of our town? Well, one is, is I think the intellectual center of our region are going to be the universities. I think the intellectual centers are the colleges. It's, it's Milligan. It's ETSU. It's, it's, it's the community college. Like those, those are intellectual centers in our region. And so for, for that reason, because that is important, we strategically partner with college ministries. We partner with Crew, we partner with The Well, we partner with InterVarsity, and we want to help students get mobilized into these ministries so that they can be strengthened for their faith. You see, if you're here today and you're in college, you're not here on a holding pattern. There is this lie in our culture that says, go to college, live it up for four years, have fun, and then you can settle down afterwards. But I'm telling you, you are not here on a holding pattern. You are here to be developed and to be deployed on mission while you are in Johnson City. 
Right? You're not here by accident. God has a purpose for your life, and you have the ability to influence the generation that is coming up that will go and to influence the next 10 to 15 years of all of our culture in America. Like You are here for a strategic purpose. And so if you're thinking, well, like, well I, I don't know how to grow in my faith. Well, let me tell you this. Um, when I went to school, I was told to go to a Bible college, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's the best choice for some people. But I chose to go to a state university. And some people said, well, Jeff, if you go there, you're going to fall away. But I knew that God wasn't calling me to people who were Christians. He was calling me to people who weren't Christians. And so I went, and I grew more in my faith in my four years at a state university than just about any of my friends who went and got Bible degrees at Christian universities. So I say that just to let you know, like, no matter where you are, you can grow tremendously in your faith while you're in college. But you have to be intentional with pressing into Christ. So if you're in college today, I want you to know that you are not in a holding pattern. This is a sweet season of life that you can grow exponentially in your faith. You can influence a whole generation from what you're doing now, and it can have an impact going forward for future generations as well. All right, the next thing is trade centers. What are the trade centers of our area? I would say that that's the places we work. That's the places we shop. And I know maybe you're thinking, like, I can't add another activity to my calendar. And I'm with you. We've got three kids and multiple activities per kid. It's overwhelming. Like, if we added one more thing, I'd probably weep. Okay? But we're not talking about adding something to your schedule. We're talking about being intentional in the places you already are. Be intentional with the places you work. Be intentional with the places you shop. Okay? So I think about the way that you are in those places. Like think about the coffee shop you show up to, the restaurants you frequent, um, the, the office that you show up to. What type of person are you? Are you the person that, that you walk into a restaurant and the wait staff goes, don't put them at my table? Or are you the type of person that they're like, hey, seat them here. Like that's the good tipper, right? That, that person lays down some bills. Like, like they're gonna take care. Are, are you the type of person at work that, are, you're always complaining? Or are you the type of person at work that's encouraging others around you? Are you the type of person that's gossiping? Or are you the type of person that's putting a stop to it? Like, think about like, what type of person are you? That has a huge influence in our culture right now. I would say it's a great apologetic or a defense of our faith because we live in a very negative world right now. Everyone is plastering negative things on social media, looking to the news, um, in conversations. There's so much negativity. What would it look like if you were the positive person? Because you're living like Christ, right? So to, to be intentional with the way that you're living. But it's not only the things that we do, it's also the things that we say. And here's something that's, that's really important. If the things that you say are true, know this, the things that you do can almost immediately discredit that truth. You might be saying things that are true, but if your actions are contradicting that, then the truth is just landing on deaf ears, and so we also need to think through, like, yeah, I want to live my life the right way, but I also want to make sure I'm speaking truth, that those things need to be held in balance. And when I talk about speaking, like, the things that we say, I'm not talking about having a perfect, like, explanation of everything. You're like, let's open up Genesis, and I'll walk you through the whole Bible. I have a perfect understanding of Scripture. You're like, I don't have that. I'm just talking about having small talk conversations that you can then take to deeper conversations and then have an ear for when it could turn into a spiritual conversation. 
which means it's not necessarily going to happen in the Home Depot line as you're checking out. It's probably going to be a relationship that happens over time. Like I think about today, I went to, I went to Starbucks, and I'm pulling through to get my order, and I, I asked for my grande ice skinny caramel macchiato, which I don't know what order to put those words into. And I was like, in a spinach feta wrap. And he goes, we're out of spinach feta wrap. He says, we're out of spinach feta wraps. And I was like, ah. He's like, negative Ghost Rider. And so I'm like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. But he'll say, um, I was like, okay, I will just roll with the drink. That's what I said. I will just roll with the drink. And I think as a public speaker, I should probably communicate clearly, but I don't. And so I, I pull up to the window and he goes, what does walk the creek mean? And I was like, huh? He's like, you said walk the creek. I was like, what? He's like, you, I said, we don't have any spinach feta wraps. And you said, I'll walk the creek. And I was like, I said, I'll roll with the drink. And he's like, oh, and so we're going to make that a saying. And so, like, so we're going to bring that to light. I don't know what it means, but walk the creek. And so all that to say, though, that starts off as a small talk conversation. I've got his name. And now you better believe that next time I go through Starbucks, who am I looking for? Right now, the job is is to go back to the place that I'm shopping, right? To go back, and then to continue small talk and hope that it turns into a more significant conversation, and then have an ear for when it can turn spiritual. And that, that's the type of thing I'm talking about that you should be doing at work, that you should be doing at the places that you frequent, whether it's a coffee shop, the gym, or somewhere else. Like, let's just be a type of people that are living intentionally in the places that we already are. All right, then the third thing is the religious center, right? So Ephesus, they're not worshiping God, but here the primary culture in Johnson City is going to be a Christian religious culture, right? I'm not saying everyone's a Christian, but that's the predominant culture of our region. And so how do we, how do we reach our region through the religious aspect? I would say that we need to be intentional with strengthening churches and ministries in town. And I'm not saying strengthening Redeemer. I'm saying strengthening churches and ministries in town because the vision God has for our area is too big for any one church to contain. Okay, the vision that God has for our area is too big for any one church to contain. So we need all churches to be strengthened, all ministries to be strengthened so that we can come together and do the work of the gospel. So what might that look like? How can we help strengthen the churches and ministries in our area? Let me throw out a challenge. Um, Let me ask for a raise of hands. I don't do this often, but let's get a raise of hands. How many of you have friends that go to other churches? Anybody got friends that, someone's like, I don't have any friends. Like, thanks, thanks for doing the hand raise thing, Jeff. All right, so, but most of us have friends that go to other churches. What would it look like if you just took the initiative to grab some friends two friends that might go to two other churches, like you go to Grace, you go to Redstone, let's get lunch, right? You grab your friends that go to two other churches and just have a conversation and say, hey, what if our presence at our church made the place better? Like, what if our presence at our churches just kind of brought the whole tide up? Whether it's through your time, your talent, your treasure, you're like, and what if you just said, okay, like, how can we, in, this, in your table conversation, what are some things that we can do to make our churches stronger? And you just talk that out with your friends and then held each other accountable to actually implementing those things. 
Think about the list that you might come up with. Think about the applicable one or two things that you could choose to do and hold each other accountable for that you're saying, like, we want to be committed that our presence at our churches is going to make a difference because we need to strengthen all the churches in town and all the ministries in town so that we can be a part of what God is doing here. We want to be a part of what God's doing here. Okay, so, so let me close with this. Um, three things. So I want you to think through, where's God calling you to? Who is God calling you to? So I want, I want to point out three things real quick. These, and I actually mean it quick, um, about Paul's evangelism strategy. One is Paul's evangelism strategy wasn't ecclesiological. If you're like, what in the world does that word mean? Ecclesiological, it's just church. <laughs> so I, it's, I, but I needed an E word. Okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't come to church. I'm not saying there isn't a point where you get people to come to church with you. Like, I, I want this place to be filled with non-believers. I want to see more people getting baptized because they're choosing Christ. But the starting point generally isn't getting people to come to church. It's meeting people where they are. And so it wasn't ecclesiological, come to my church. It was Paul going and meeting people where they are, which is the importance of us living intentionally with the way that we behave and the things that we say. Right? The second thing is, it wasn't emotional. And so sometimes when you think about evangelism, people really lean into getting an emotional response. Where maybe it's, can I scare this person with the reality of hell? Or can I do something to tug on their heartstrings where they're, they're in an emotional state? And people might say they're choosing Jesus, but because it's emotional... Once kind of the emotion settled down, they're questioning whether or not that was real or not. Paul was never tugging on heartstrings. He was reasoning. He was persuading. He was, he was, he was using intellect. So it wasn't an emotional-driven thing, right? So it wasn't emotional. And then it wasn't, I butchered this word in the last service. So um, it wasn't expeditious. I think that's right, right? And so in other words, it wasn't brief work hoping for a quick response, he didn't do brief work hoping for a quick response. You see that he settles in for another year and a half. And so I say that because as you identify where is God calling you or who is God calling you to, know that it might be a lot of work and it might take a lot of time. That's why you've got to dig in and press in and commit, saying, like, I'm going to be here. Because that spiritual conversation might not come every week. It might happen once and then die off and then not rise up for another three months. But when you're committed to being there, it will come again. And you'll have the chance to help bridge that gap. And so when you think through who you're called to or where you're called to, think through how you can be committed and dig in and press in into that place. God, thank you so much for your word. God, we want to be a people who are on mission for you. Like Paul, evangelizing the known world for the gospel. God, we, we know that in our culture, um, people are ready for the good news of the gospel. People are feeling a lack of purpose. People are feeling lonely. People are hurting. People are struggling with hard questions. There's family brokenness. God, there's so many things happening in our culture. People are, people are ready for the good news of Jesus Christ. And you've chosen to work through us as your instruments. And so, God, let us be used in your hands. 
God, help us to be intentional with the way that we live. God, we ask that the work you've called us to um, would be effective and influential for the spread of your kingdom. God, it's your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.